This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to The Good, The Bad, and The Hungi. My name is Tyler Fornis, and with me is house repair extraordinaire Fred. How are you doing, sir? Uh, I'm doing well. My house repairs, I uh, wish I could say better, but that's why I pay people to actually do the house repairs. So just uh, incessantly going on, it feels like, since uh, the beginning of time. Yeah, that's how house repairs always go, but... This dynamite show. Well, we don't really have a lot of news to talk about, Fred. So it's it's kind of nice just to be able to get into the wrestling and we can kind of look forward. The only real big story is an Instagram live that Malachi Black did. Um, and he said he was sick of talking about um him being released from AEW because he insists that he never asked for one. Um that the, the word was in a public statement on 918 that said he asked for a release. Um he did once, but not every time. I'm not, I'm not quite sure what that means in the notes, Fred, but all I know is he said that he's just taking some time off and he's still contracted with AEW. Yeah, so, okay, the the thing that he said about not never asking for a release is uh, not true because he put out a written statement on his Instagram uh, back a couple weeks on the 18th of September. That And he was like, well, one, you know, when I said release, it was in quotation marks. And he said at least twice in the statement that he had asked for a release, and only once was it with a, you know, it, it, with quotation marks. Um, and if you read the statement, it's pretty clear that he's saying that he did ask for a release, and then they, they got blown out of proportion. It was just very dumb. Like, it, you put out a statement, and then you, like, essentially say you misquoted yourself. Yeah, it- Wrestlers are carnies, and they're they're professional liars. And at the end of the day, it, if Malachi actually did ask for his release, and then hey, he just retracts it. He's just trying to save face and try and make himself look like less of a goober, but in turn, makes himself look like even more so. And I'll be honest, Fred, I think this is a big win for AEW. The fact that he will be coming back, it was obvious that he wasn't working at full strength, and we had heard that there were some um, lingering back injuries. I believe it was. And yeah. having him back in the fold long term, I think is really good for this company because of what his style is and how stylistically different he is from the rest of the roster and what kind of really unique matchup potential that we could see, especially at the top of the card with guys like Moxley, Omega, Hangman, Danielson. Those present some very interesting stylistic dynamics that would get me really excited. Yeah, I, I like him on the roster. Uh, I especially like him when it's less of the uh, uh, the Joe Lanza uh, term spooky bullshit, which mm-hmm. sometimes it is. Um, uh, but yeah, I think he's really entertaining in the ring in particular, and uh, I like having him around. So I hope that he does stay and uh, you know do more cool kicks and less like the collar of my spray represents the evil that is in everyone's soul. And, yeah, uh, and uh, it, Buddy Murphy ended up kind of saying uh, the same thing. So it looks like we may actually be getting 
a full reunion of House of Black down the line, which will make things interesting for Brody King in the meantime. Do they kind of have him go away for a bit? Does he still uh, represent the House of Black banner? Um, A lot of interesting things to happen with these three uh, gentlemen and Julia Hart as we move forward within the promotion. Yeah, I think that there's definitely star potential with uh, most of House of Black. I don't know that Buddy Matthews really pops off the screen that well, but he's a good in-ring worker at the very least, so he's got value. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, if they stick around, they can definitely help out like the Trio's Championship division for sure. Buddy Matthews reminds me, of, he's like a work-rate guy, um, work-rate television champion of like the 1980s Jim Crockett promotions. Guy you just want to put on your TV every week, have really good matches, and never really rise above a certain level. And I think Matthews is that guy for the modern era. Yeah, that makes sense to me. He kind of reminds me of a better Tony Nese. Yes, it's a really good example because Nice is a great worker, but he's not ever going to rise above like a a scummy lower card level. But he's used perfectly within the context of AEW. Yeah, I think Buddy may have a little more juice than Nice, but you know, it's he doesn't have like it it doesn't strike me at least like a big superstar presence whenever he's on screen. It's like, ah, there's Buddy, you know, Mm -hmm. and Brody and Malachi, and they seem much more like stars. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Brody King's just got one of the more unique looks in professional wrestling because he's a big guy. He can move, and he's got tattoos up and down the wazoo. The illustrated man. That's just a, <laughs> that is really good. All right, let's continue on with other news. There isn't a whole lot to get to, so we're going to start with the ratings. Um, Dynamite did a uh, crisp 990,000 viewers. with In the mud. In the mud. Now, something that Joe Lanza has talked about um, excessively um, throughout the flagship and on the Thursday TV reviews, uh, voiceofwrestling.com slash Patreon, is the fact that AEW fans are more likely to um, watch cultural events and participate in them than fans of, of WWE. And I think we saw that tonight or on Wednesday night because they were the number nine show on cable and they've been one or two for basically the last six months. But all... Everything they were behind, they were behind all seven Weather Channel um, segments and Tucker Carlson. And th- that was also because of the hurricane. So they were tuning in to hurricane coverage instead of watching wrestling. And they still put up a very good number. 990 and 0.34 is nothing to laugh at. And when you compare it to the fact that a cultural event absolutely dominated the ratings on Wednesday night, I don't see how you can consider this anything but just a par for the course. Yeah, I I think that's a very solid number they had. Uh, nothing to be ashamed of, but basically being at a million once again with all that competition they had against them. Um, you know, the hurricane Hurricane Ian was a ma- massive story here. I hope everyone listening that ha- has that was affected or um, has someone that would was affected is okay and that everything's going to be all right for them. But that was a major story here. And when there's a massive weather incident going on in the United States, what happens is we turn on the weather channel. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's 100% what happened uh, last Wednesday night. Absolutely. And uh, if you have the ability to, please find a way to donate to um, those affected by Hurricane Ian. I know the Red Cross is um, accepting donations um, to directly help those impacted. Um, as we continue on, 
Um, because of Hurricane Ian, we had a, f- a few individuals who were not able to make um, Dynamite and the Rampage taping, two of them being Jake Hager and Swerve Strickland. And then um, there was a possibility that Samoa Joe was also one of them. Um, it de- definitely felt, Fred, like a shorthanded Dynamite. But I thought they did a really good job of um, turning um, lemons into lemonade. Yeah, it turned out to be a solid show. Uh, they fortunately had pre-taped stuff to roll in place of uh, whatever they had planned with Swerve and uh, Keith Lee. It looks like they're setting them up for a feud with, um, oh, who was it off Rampage? I've already forgot. Was it the Gun Club? Uh, that yeah. They were have a match, I think. Um, but, yeah, and, uh, I mean, Jake Hager, uh, you know, was obviously not on screen for the Jericho Appreciation Society. Apparently wearing all purple was his idea. I think Jericho said that on his podcast, um, which was fantastic. We'll get to that in a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, um, I don't think it ma- massively affected the show, fortunately. So you, you could tell it, it could have been a stronger dynamite, but outside of one segment, nothing was bad. It was it was a very good, well built dynamite, and we'll talk about the bad part because this is obviously mm-hmm. the good, the bad, and the hungry. Um, yeah, Bandito was a star of the show, and he was offered a contract after his match with Jericho. Um, Tony Khan did come out um, after the match in between um, Dynamite going off the air and they began to save Rampage uh, and offered him that contract. Um, there were rumors coming out that uh, WWE was already trying to reach out to him during the course of the match. Um, and Bandito just feels like he would be a Triple H kind of wrestler and this is great for Bandito because anytime you have two major companies that offer big money um, fighting for you, you're going to make out the absolute best because you're going to make more money in spite of that. And good for him. He had a fantastic performance, which we'll talk about later. And Wrestling Wars are back, baby. They are. And uh, we have people trying to spend money on the same talent, which is really good for that talent. Uh, the one thing I will say is that if Tony Khan did not sign Bandito before this show and uh, let him go out there like just on a handshake deal for the night, that's going to cost him money. That was not smart on Tony Khan's part. I, I would hope that, you know, if for his business sake, that he uh, he had signed Bandito up before the match and then made a big show of the contract deal in between. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, th- that's just something to keep an eye on, I reckon. I think it absolutely is something to keep an eye on. And I'm very curious because Tony Khan seems like the kind of guy who wants to jump on opportunities. I wonder if Bandito did not want to sign a contract before he had that match with Jericho, knowing that he was going to knock it out of the park and potentially be able to get more by having that national television exposure. That would have been very smart on him because Bandito is just so talented and, uh, you know, he can always perform in the ring. So the idea that he consciously chose not to sign to bet on himself, uh, that would be, uh, that would be very smart on his part. Absolutely. And then moving forward, quick update on, uh, the young bucks and Kenny Omega. Um, they haven't heard anything, uh, as far as their situation per the latest from the wrestling observer newsletter, I think we're just kind of in a holding pattern. And my guess, if I had to right now, Fred, is that the Bucks and Omega will be back the Dynamite after full gear. That would make sense. That would be a smart way to do it. Uh, you know, obviously, we're very much uh, not the entire company because they have done a very good job of moving on from just, you know, being like, oh, I don't know what to do. 
they have definitely established that they are moving on regardless of the situation with them all. But at some point, they do need to resolve this and they need to make a, an announcement or just, you know, bring them back and be like, hey, these guys are back. Uh, I honestly don't know if we ever will get an announcement from Tony Khan, though, about what is happening to these guys. Yeah, and it, you can argue if it's good or bad business to do that. I will say that Khan likely, uh, upon they are returning for, to the company, is planning on utilizing them to generate a large pop in number and generate some real buzz. And their return just won't be like, hey, segment two on Dynamite. They just all of a sudden come out and it's like, what is going on? Yeah. yeah. All right. So we do have a follow up. Um, I misspoke last week when we were talking about openly gay champions. Um, Anthony Bowens was the first AEW openly gay champion, but we have had others. Um, I did not realize that Darren Young was out. Um, it, you may know him as Fred Rosser now. He was uh, he won the tag t- belts as part of the primetime players with Titus O'Neil back in 2015. Um, Shayna Baszler uh, has won the NXT Women's and World Tag Team Champions twice as a bisexual wrestler in AC Mac. If you want to count that as well, I'm um, one the IWTV um, championship this past January. So there has been some really good re- representation of those who are a part of the LGBT community. And that is a net positive. Definitely. And those three are all very talented uh, in the ring in, in their jobs. So definitely deserved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is my bad for the mess up, but I'll say, um, it's almost a good thing that, that we, we didn't necessarily quote unquote know that because we just see them as professional wrestlers. And that's, that's honestly the best part. Yep. All right. Moving on. Uh, we have, uh, new triple mania reps, uh, for the triple mania show later this month in, uh, I believe Mexico city, um, Brian cage and the Lucha brothers, uh, Pentagon and Phoenix. Yeah, the Lucha Bros don't really count if you're really getting down to it because they're AAA regulars. Uh, Brian Cage definitely has the, we can't send you anyone that matters right now, but have a, a big guy that can flip uh, kind of deal. You know, a nice consolation prize. And kind he's like kind it. of a AAA regular anyways. Yeah, he does show up there a decent bit. I wouldn't call him a regular because uh, he's not like on every major show even, but he will fit right in there. Yeah, but no FTR, no um, Young Bucks or Omega. They clearly want to do Omega Vikingo, um, and they're settling for Vikingo Phoenix, which will be amazing. Um, oh God, yes! All the flips, uh, just like just fully rotating in there um, constantly, just like on an axis over the ring, won't come down. Somehow violated the laws of physics. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I think it'll be a decent show, but AAA definitely is at this point with me where it's just, uh, I will come in to watch the matches. I will say, ah, those are good matches. And then I will not think about their storylines anymore because they don't really think about their storylines either. See, that's kind of the best part of all their storylines. You, you, If you just pop in, you don't understand what's going on because neither do they. Yeah, it's the perfect uh, parachute in uh, company because uh, the bookers are also parachuting in. <laughs> good old conan um i think fred unless you have anything else that is it for the news and we can kind of continue on and talk um long form and in-depth thoughts on dynamite 
One more thing that is kind of developing right now since we're recording on Tuesday morning is that Sammy and Andrade are shit-talking each other on Twitter. Um, is it a work? Is it a shoot? Who knows? Do you care? Well, I mean, it's it's Sammy, so it's probably a shoot, and he's he's just a shit-talker in general. Yeah. Um, yeah. Might be the match might be uh, going to fight for real backstage. I don't know. Who knows with Andrade? Andrade's just, he's been tweeting out uh, hourglasses and then uh, Roosh got signed to a full time contract and then he got all excited. And yeah. who, kn- who knows with that guy? Just when he gets in the ring, I like to watch him wrestle. That's that's where I'm at with Andrade. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on that if there's anything to it whatsoever. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. All right, Fred, let's get to these, this dynamite show because it is. A very, very, very interesting one. It was um, at the, I don't even know how to pronounce that, at in Philadelphia. Um, this Philadelphia crowd was not quite as into the show as um, you would have expected, but some of these TV crowds have, especially recently, have been average. Yeah, it was... Um... It was uh, a, you know, Dave Meltzer had a full-blown meltdown, I guess, over the weekend, uh, starting with a Thursday show or Wednesday night show, about how it was a WWE crowd, which means that AEW is drawing in just WWE fans who want to see these WWE stars that they have signed, but also it's bad that they are pushing former WWE guys, because it's just like Impact, and uh, I don't know, like, I think there's some... There is reason to be concerned to some extent about booking decisions just like you would always be. I don't think the booking has gotten bad in AEW over this year. I don't think it's as good as last year, for example, though. Uh, just in general quality, just my opinion. Um, but I also think it's kind of rich to say that they AEW pushes too many ex-WWE guys when, one, they signed everyone in America with a pulse for the most mm-hmm. part. Um, and so if, if they leave WWE, like, are they just like, is Adam Cole just supposed to like disappear? You know, like, it doesn't really make sense to criticize AEW if they sign Adam Cole and they push him on the basis of, well, he was in WWE. I mean, Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland were both in there and they were doing different stuff. Uh, are they just, is, you know, Tony Khan just not supposed to sign and push them despite them being good performers? It doesn't, I don't get it. Um, well, I, I, think, I think I know how to contextualize this, Fred, because a lot of this, in my opinion, stems from the TNA days where it wasn't that they just signed WWE guys. They pushed them in their WWE gimmicks, and it just felt like a dollar store version of what they were with WWE. AEW doesn't do that. They take a guy or girl who wrestled in WWE, and it feels like they have a new, different character. Like, you look at Tony Storm. She's able to kind of be herself. She's not getting pies in the face. She's wrestling like a, a badass that she is. You you look at Adam Cole. He's yeah, he's doing stuff with uh, O'Reilly and Fish, but he was doing stuff with O'Reilly and Fish in New Japan and Ring of Honor before he even got to NXT. Yeah, they're allowing these guys to come in, but they're not pushing them as WWE guys. They're pushing them as their own, and I think that's the main difference. And some people, especially those who are massive WWE fans don't necessarily put two and two together. They just see, Oh, you just took a guy off our scrap heap and now you're pu- pushing him. 
while they're pushing the wrestler, they're not pushing the character. And I think that's the big differentiation that is not being taken into account. Yeah, I will push back on that a little bit and say that I wouldn't really point to Adam Cole as an example of changing what he was in WWE. But as you said, that what he was in WWE was also basically what he was before in Ring of Honor in New Japan. Um, it's the Adam Cole playbook. Everybody's yeah. used it. It's I, I don't see it as a big deal. It, it'd be like, uh, you know, Ric Flair going on and the Four Horsemen going from nwa to the you know a short stint wwe to a third company and i mean like oh why are they pushing them as the four horsemen i mean it's that's what they are you know at this point you can quibble about if you know they should be kept together i guess but uh i don't know man it's, it's very it seems not i won't, don't want to say bad faith but kind of misdirected in terms of its approach to the criticism i do think there is some concern about what always struck me about the TNA de- debuts, I guess I'll say, is that when it came in, they were treated as instantly bigger than everyone else on the roster. Mm-hmm. And until Wednesday night, intentionally or unintentionally, they had never done that. It never felt like Adam Cole was brought in to be the biggest, you know, to like be like, oh, now finally we got someone here who knows how to wrestle or knows is good, uh, you know, and like get this Darby Allen shit out of the way kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and un- intentionally or unintentionally, uh, the Soraya stuff uh, 100% felt like that. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know what? Let's kind of let's jump into that. Yeah, let's talk about that. This uh, is like you could talk about the Dark Order beating up the Elite at the end of 2019, which was considered at the time and potentially now the worst segment in Dynamite history. This was the worst segment in Dynamite history. Soraya comes out and basically calls out the entire roster and makes them all look like geeks. And she's, she's cutting an absolutely terrible promo. And you you could blatantly tell that she went from being scripted to, Hey, I get to say whatever I want. And now you have a WWE style, like bullshit segment that felt like one of the ones at the beginning of, um, the women's revolution where you, where you had this submission sorority, yeah pcb yeah just utter utter crap and they didn't either they didn't learn from it or tony khan made one of his biggest missteps as a booker or potentially both because soraya who isn't even cleared to wrestle we have no idea if she's going to be cleared all of a sudden comes out and makes the entire roster look like a bunch of puny pathetic geeks and Britt Baker, with her skills on the mic, uh, couldn't even do enough to save it. This was atrocious. This was a really, really bad segment. And Nicole and I, my wife who watches with me, uh, we were driving around this weekend, and I started thinking about it. And I was like, "How? I got to find out what the other worst segments in AEW history were." You know, the people think. So, better or worse? Do you which do you think is better? Uh, Tyler, do you think the Dark Order beatdown or the Soraya debut was worse? I think the Soraya, this Soraya segment was worse. Like you can, you can talk about that Dark Order segment, but they were really trying to push the Dark Order, and it just wasn't working. And that was kind of like the culmination of like, all right, this isn't working. We need to recalibrate it. Um, this you could have seen it wasn't going to work from a mile away because of everything that WWE has done with this women's division. 
It, it was the blueprint was already there. Tony Khan was still trying to figure things out then. I think this is much worse because of that. And then when they finally were able to get the Dark Order rolling, that was because of, they added Brody Lee and mm-hmm. his ability and charisma and just him being absolutely perfect for the role of the leader of the Dark Order. That's why it was as successful as it was. And I think just based on circumstance, you have to give it to this segment from Wednesday. I agree. I think that the Dark Order segment was on screen. It represented a lot worse, but on screen, it was just kind of a generic uh, beatdown segment that until you like, I think you had to look closer than usual to note like, oh, hey, this one guy is just terribly missing punches and these other two goons are going into business for themselves for God knows what reason. Um, But yeah, like I would say that the Zarea one was worse. Okay, next one. Nightmare Collective versus Soraya. I guess for a specific segment, because the, I, I would still say the Nightmare Collective is probably the worst AEW gimmick um, in the history of the company. Uh, when they interrupted the early Riho Chris Statlander championship match to make it a uh, a whole deal, or else it could be the introduction of Mel, whichever you prefer of those two. <laughs> Mel. I had forgotten Mel existed within the canon of actual AEW television. Yeah. Um, I'd still say this one was, was worse. And maybe that's just a, a recency bias thing. But as bad as the Nightmare Collective was, I, 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 I'll give Tony Khan some leeway because he was still learning and figuring out, not, not just doing a TEW game, but figuring out how to book for television. Yeah. And that was rough. It was really, really bad. But he's he was still in the process of learning. And we're over three years in at this point. That I'm I'm not going to give him that leeway now. So as close as they are, I'm going to lean um, the Soraya segment. I would personally lean towards uh, the Mel segment, I think, uh, is the one that sticks out of my head where she was shaved. Just a very, like... There was one good pre-tape Brandy Rhodes interview and that whole uh, like a that whole angle that kind of worked, and then everything else was just atrocious. Um, Deathmatch legend Legend Luther before he became Goofy Guy with Serpentico. Um, I would say that it was worse. I'm going to skip stuff like uh, the Sammy Guevara. Uh, Matt Hardy disaster of a match because that's like an injury that they didn't recognize fast enough. Uh, I think that's a completely different uh, category. Um, one other one that I definitely think bears a comparison: the Cody Rhodes Anthony Gogo weigh in. Oh, I I will give some leeway to that because as dumb and as contrived as it was, it. It was also the pandemic where they're just kind of throwing shit against the wall. No fans. Like there's circumstance behind it. Why I, they tried to make it work and it just failed. This was irredeemably bad. And to me, that's the difference. I agree with you. I would say the Soraya one was worse. The big show, like struggling with a manual scale uh, was rough, but like just kind of like unintentional comedy. Uh, you can than- see why the way in would work. And yeah. how, how you can piece it together. It just wasn't executed. This segment, doesn't matter how well it was executed, it was not going to be good. 
Yeah, it was. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But I think that was the biggest error with the Soraya thing. Um, I do. I am reading that uh, apparently during one of the Roads to the Top episodes, which I did not watch. Um, the uh, you do get to see Tony Khan being really angry about how this segment, uh, how the weigh-in segment went, which is uh, pretty funny. Um, uh, the other ones I'm seeing, like the librarians, aren't really a specific segment that I see getting pointed out. The barbed wire deathmatch explosion was not really a booked angle, so I don't think that's a good comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to see if there's anything. I guess there's some really cringy. Um, like Chris Jericho, babyface, uh, let's bring back the slut-shaming stuff kind of deal. Um, and the Dan Lambert, Brandy Rhodes promo. I, I think that was like kind of notoriously awful. Um, it was awful, but I still wouldn't put it on the same level as this. Yeah, I don't. I think I agree with you. So I think for me, this is like the second worst... One maybe okay. Here's a here's a dark horse uh, candidate that I just saw. Two two more dark horse can, candidates. Uh, one the debut of Andrade with Vicky Guerrero. That was rough, but it wasn't irredeemably bad. It was just yeah. like you really want to debut a guy who looks like Andrade, who carries himself like Andrade, and while he's not necessarily like the most um, quote unquote fluent English speaker. He's a tremendous talker because he knows how to utilize his strengths and weaknesses on the mic. You debut him like that was just a rough, but he ended up making it okay-ish. Yeah, there's nothing okay-ish about the Soraya segment. I would say the quality of that segment was not as bad as this. It was probably a bigger fumble just because Andrade will probably mean more to the company than Soraya. Uh, and I do think it's pronounced array. I think that they push that pretty hard on commentary. Apologies if I'm screwing that up. Um, another one that I'll mention real quick uh, was the Britt Baker t- title celebration with the burgers being set up to have a match. <laughs> that, I think that's just like, I think that's, I yeah, that that's just cornball crap. I mean, it wasn't great. And then, I, this was just to me more weird than anything. The dynamite where the main event was uh, Malachi Black murdering Brock Anderson, that... which would have been a fine segment at like the fifth quarter kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, those are the ones that I have uh, off off cuff to compare to Soraya. Uh, the Soraya segment was god awful, just terrible. Um, it was no good whatsoever. I hated it. It was easily one of the worst things I've ever seen in wrestling television. It reminded me of, you already alluded to it, but the start of the women's revolution where Stephanie McMahon invented women's wrestling and divided like the nine different women that they were going to helmet with into different teams. And it, the like submission sorority. Yeah. Which no one Googled before. <laughs> How the, do you uh, not Google the submission sorority? Um, Listen, uh, I understand that will be submission sorority will be uh, in action next week against the trio stepsisters stuck in washing machines. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was, I mean, it was seriously like it felt like an episode of Muppet Babies where the 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 baby the whatever she was the teacher or whatever came in to like separate things. 
And it was an awful segment. Then Stephanie McMahon maybe managed to like emasculate the entire women's roster in that segment. And uh, this Soraya just about did the same thing here. Uh, she definitely was like, oh, have you guys heard of Tony Storm? And like everyone should have been like, yes, she is our current women's champion. She is very talented. When she can, she puts on good matches. We're, we're very well, well aware of Tony Storm. Uh, her introducing the baby faces who are randomly together um, for no reason. Like, I, I know that Tony had a short-term alliance with Athena, but then, like, okay, Willow Nightingale is on the come-up, and we'll talk about her on Rampage, but she isn't a name at all, at least, especially before her performance on Rampage. And then, um, oh, God, I'm blank. Sky Blue, who is the most jobberist person in that division right now because when she shows up on TV it is to get her ass kicked um, they all come out they make the division look paper thin you don't have Riho or Karoshita or um, even Nyla Rose making an appearance that I wouldn't have put her with that group because she's not really a face um, and then uh, you have the heels come out and for some reason like Penelope Ford I guess was you know back in catering with him and they're like oh we're going to do a segment you want to come with us and she was like yeah Sure, because you know what? That's more of a connection than she had with them prior. <laughs> Literally no connection between Brooke Baker's crew and Penelope Ford that I can think of. If it if there has been, it has been months because she was out injured for since December. She had made like one or two prior television appearances. Um the 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 coldest comeback ever in wrestling history. I hope that my sarcasm is coming through in my deadpan right now. Uh, where um, Britt is cutting her promo and makes the joke about uh, people don't even know how to pronounce your name. Try, you know, it's like, all right, that's a decent dig. It's not like rock level shit, but sure. And then uh, Soraya returning, yeah, well, Britt, your name rhymes with shit. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And, and just uh, Britt just like being like, I don't. You know, you can like visibly see on her face she's like calculating how to respond to such a terrible response. It's like it's the verbal equivalent of like, do I sell the finisher when it completely misses? And the worst part about this segment is the fact that right after this, you have a women's world title match where Tony Storm delivers a pile driver off the second rope and it gets zero reaction from the crowd because this absolutely deflated it. Oh yeah. The crowd was so dead heading to the, into the women's match and also making it a lumberjack match for really, there's no reason to, I mean, I guess, uh, I guess hater came out during the match last week, but I don't, I don't even remember like interference leading to that finish. So you're setting up, a gimmick match without announcing it ahead of time with no real hook into the gimmick and a lumberjack match is guaranteed to not be good. There has been probably, I don't know, one good lumberjack history in the entire, over the past 30 years of television wrestling in the U S. Um, it just felt like, uh, it felt like somebody from WWE dropped an idea on the street and Tony Khan found it and was like, yeah, there's some dirt and mud on it, but we could just rinse this off and just plug it in. It'll be fine. 
yeah, just oh man, awesome, awesome. And it came at the it came at the absolute worst time for it too, because AEW has been struggling with the women's division. They've been heavily criticized for it for several months now. Uh, you know, to the point where people were like, "I don't even know if Tony Khan cares about it." Which I don't know. I mean, I, he definitely cared about getting Britt Baker over. I know that much. Um, I feel like he hasn't had the same juice behind anyone else but Britt since then. Um, and you can debate if that's you know deserve it or not. Um, but man, it just so terrible, like really bad. Even Soraya going, all right, it's going to be a lumberjack match. Pause, pause, pause for the championship was just like awful delivery. She was bad on commentary afterwards. I don't know. The the biggest issue with this wasn't even uh, Soraya's uh, performance. It was the the whole structure of the segment. This was one of the worst laid out segments in AEW history and wrestling history uh, of the past couple decades. Um, just somebody should have seen this on paper and been been like, no, this is not going to work at all. Yeah, it, accomplished nothing positive. Absolutely nothing positive. And you mentioned that the AEW Women's Division has been uh, getting a lot of criticism, and rightfully and wrongfully so. There's been some definitely warranted criticism and some not this was an opportunity for them because they got they weren't in quarter hour two or quarter hour six they were at the top of the nine o'clock hour and they got real time the way that this segment bombed and was so poorly received across the board i don't know the next time that tony khan's can even that kind of platform again on the show i you know it felt like I know that there's been like, I don't know why you're paying Mark Henry and I don't know why you're paying tall Paul so much money. Uh, That kind of talk, which makes sense because they aren't really doing much. Um, I think there's some injury issues with both of them. They had surgery uh, recently, or I know that Mark Henry is trying to avoid surgery. Uh, But Soraya, Soraya, buddy, it was bad. And and this week, you know, one of the matches is going to be a woman's six weight or six. Six woman tag, and they're going to do Saray on the outside with um, with Britt Baker on the outside too, which feels very much like they're setting up for a match. Uh, I assume that they still plan on having Saraya wrestle. Uh, there hasn't been any indication yet that she can't, but I she I don't know that I care. <laughs> I don't at this point in time. I am not that interested in it. And I, I'm not, I don't really want to see her on TV with Mike again. I was interested going into this show. Coming out of it, I'm with you. I couldn't care less anymore. And they're going to have to do a lot of work to get me back in. Yeah, there's rehab to be done for sure. They're in a, they put themselves in a bad position here. Big time. But we've buried this product enough. Let's talk about stuff that was good. And there is a lot of discussion about the fact that this show started very WWE like Fred. And quite frankly, I have no problem starting a wrestling show with a promo segment if the promo segment is really good. And the whole point of this was, yeah, it it felt like a WWE segment because that's their gimmick. The whole point is to be bad and sports Sports entertainers entertainers. and be just shitbags. And they were great at it. Luigi Primo just in the corner tossing his pizza dough and then um, making fun of Philadelphia pizza, which in the Northeast, 
like they take their pizza very seriously. And you have Daniel Garcia just beating up Luigi Primo and that just the the shitty purple leisure suits that these guys are wearing. All of this was great. And it was a fantastic segment. It's like great. it's really hard to be upset about them with a WWE style promo when it's their gimmick. And I think people just need to they need to relax. I, I, you know, I think that's a fair. I, I think the the complaint, the fair complaint, is that uh, these sports entertainment style segments can easily go bad, as we saw with Saraya. If it's a bad segment, it feels even worse than it was because it was fifteen minutes long. You invested mm-hmm. the time and it stunk. You know, it, it feels even worse than a wrestling match because a wrestling match is normally what happens. If you have a bad wrestling match on. Uh, AEW show, I think it has less of an impact than a bad WWE style segment. This was a great segment, though, and you can do. I, you know, I don't want Dynamite to be raw. I don't want one of these every week. But when you've got Chris Jericho, who is just an absolute genius when it comes to this kind of stuff, you better be having him do these uh, every once in a, you know every couple of weeks or whatever is required for his feud to get it over because he can get it over. He can do these great segments, and this was a perfect example of what he can bring to the table uh, that it really separates him from the rest of the roster. I feel like. Uh, this was an amazing segment. Uh, he had an amazing performance. Luigi Primo, God bless him, is so committed to doing the shtick. Just was doing a fantastic job. Just like, I will throw this fake pizza dough forever. The entire segment until he got killed, he was doing it. It was perfect. Um, it it's one of the, it's, I I attribute that to Chris Jericho. I assume that Jericho is like, hey, let's bring this primo guy in, and just have him do this in the back. Why? Because we're sports entertainers. It, it's uh, th- those little kind of details seem to come with Chris Jericho, and that was a perfect one. Um, Daniel Garcia is going to be a star. They are making him a star right now, and he will succeed at being a star. I fully believe that he can go in the ring. He's not perfect on the promos yet, but he's like 24 or whatever the hell he is. He's young. Mm-hmm. He's uh, not everyone's MGF. MGFC exception, not the rule. He is going to be a main eventer within a year or two. Um, he it just he has that vibe. He has the uh, the verve that makes him feel like a, a complete star uh, when he comes out. And this storyline has been fantastic. It's done a great job at getting him over. He's been put alongside Chris Jericho and Brian Danielson. This is not a mistake. They saw it in him, and they are making him a star. 100%. Um, One of the things that I really liked about the segment was, obviously, there's been tension between Jericho and Garcia for um, a couple months now. And Jericho tries to bridge the gap during his celebration by gifting Garcia a bucket hat, which is something that he's worn throughout a lot of his career. No, and no, he, he doesn't wear a bucket hat. He wears Kangol hats. Oh. And that's why he threw it on the ground, because he's, you know, this all went unsaid, but the reason he threw it on the ground is because he's been with Jericho for months now, and the asshole is so self-absorbed, he doesn't even know what kind of hat he wears. Very true. I... It was a genius it. little touch, I thought. That, that That's even better. Um, yeah, Garcia throws it on the ground, knocks out Luigi Primo, basically uh, calls out Jericho, 
Danielson comes out and then not only do we get a match set up with Matt Menard and Brian Danielson because Daddy Magic just calls out Garcia that for being like we had your back for the entirety of last year and now you want to turn your back on us and that led into the match in the next segment uh, between Daddy Magic and the American Dragon but now we have a matchup set up for the Dynamite Anniversary Show which this would be uh, the the debut of Dynamite had the formation of the inner circle. Um, and then this could be the second time where Chris Jericho is involved in a major turn. If Garcia does officially turn on the Jericho appreciation society on an anniversary show. So really nice touch and Guevara and Jericho versus Garcia and Danielson should be a tremendous, tremendous tag match. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. I think it'll be really exciting. Um, I think there's still enough wiggle room in this angle where there is a question of what Daniel Garcia is going to do because there's a possibility that this is all a swerve. I think they won't do that, and I think that would be the worst mistake um, or worst path to take out of this. Uh, but he could obviously ch- uh, join a Blackpool Combat Club, or what he could do is he could uh, just go his own path uh, coming out of this. Um, I don't know if they're still going to go for like intrigue after this or if they're going to actually uh, – push uh you know or they're actually going to deliver kind of a major milestone on this uh storyline um it's the kind of show where they should i feel like uh but you know the possibility remains uh but yeah i think it's uh i've really loved this angle i think it's been probably their best angle of the year uh storyline of the year i should say um the whole daniel garcia saga and um i think that it's being done perfectly it really has been, and we I alluded to it a little bit ago. We did have the American Dragon versus Daddy Magic in a match. Honestly, this was this was fine. It, um, you had Angela Parker um, who interfered. Claudio Castagnoli came out and literally carried Carry Angela Parker um, over his shoulder, just carried him right out of the ring. Danielson um, wins with the LaBelle Lock. Honestly, just a nice little match um, helps within the context of the story. Daddy Magic can get beaten like a drum by top baby faces, and it doesn't really matter. Um, this was just very well put together. Yeah, this was a total Jimmins three. The only complaint I really have about it is if you have a Brian Danielson singles match in AEW, it typically means more. And I think higher expectations on the match quality was perfectly uh, reasonable. Uh, but it was a complete Gentleman's three. It was fine it did what it had to i think daddy magic uh, may still be uh you know healing from his injury the big surgery with the shoulder that he had i don't think he had did he have the surgery or did he rehab i forget now it was a partially torn labrum which you can do with rehab you don't need surgery right so he rehab so he still looked kind of rough to me on offense in particular um and he got a lot of offense in this match uh but yeah i mean this was Perfectly acceptable TV wrestling to me. Um, you know, not great, but nothing to complain about, really. Yeah, just it, it kind of existed in the in the plane of AEW, and I, I thought it was fine. Um, yeah. Next segment, you had, uh, it was supposed to be MJF coming out. Philly's own Wheeler Yuta stormed to the ring and talked a bunch of shit on MJF. Um and really hyped up the fact that uh, he was defending Tony Schiavone's honor and thinks that they should fight right here in his city of Philadelphia. Um, 
and then and MJF comes out, he's of course wearing a Mets jersey because yes. it's that's just perfect cheap heel stuff that it works every single time. Um, they fight or on the mic, which I will say, Fred, this was a much better showing from Wheeler Yuta because last week he just looked completely outclassed by MJF. And while MJF was definitely better, they felt like they were a lot closer um, in contrast. And I think that's a big win for Yuta moving forward. Yeah, Yuta stepped up from last week uh, and he did very well. I don't know if it was just the hometown crowd that helped him out or what. But it, it worked out quite nicely, and um, I thought that he delivered really well in this in the later segment. Yeah, absolutely. And um, they will end up having a match um, in D.C. I believe that is next week. Or if you're listening yeah. to this, it will be this upcoming Wednesday on the anniversary show. Um, what, what I really liked about the segment, Fred, was MJF was being so disrespectful to Philadelphia. He didn't even say his catchphrase. He had the ass boys come out and say his catchphrase for him. And I thought that was just a really nice touch. That was a nice touch. Another thing I really appreciated was when Willer Yuta came out, he was like, all right, we all know what MJF's going to do. He's going to say this. He's going to say that. He's going to make a joke about the Phillies never making the playoffs. And then MJF comes out. He makes a joke about the Phillies never making the playoffs. And Yuta gets kind of on his mic and goes, I told you, see? <laughs> that, was a, that was a nice touch. Uh, but, yeah, I thought this was a, a very good segment. And, um, yeah. Um, next up, we had uh, a video package with John Moxley and rock hard Juice Robinson, who apparently is a free agent and is not contracted to New Japan Pro Wrestling anymore. Do you believe it, or is Juice working us one more time? Uh, he already worked me. I'm not going to buy it again. You know, we'll see if that's the case. Uh, but I have very strong doubts that that is the case that he is no longer on a contract. Mm-hmm especially because he came out um, with his uh, Bullet Club gear and new Bullet Club music, which is just perfect for the character. And they had a match, and it was it was a Moxley Juice Robinson match. You could definitely tell that um, they were going back and forth, and they, they had each other's numbers. Um, Juice did uh, hit the Pulp Friction. Um, he, he tried to hit the Rock Slide, but he wasn't able to get it, and... At the end, Moxley uh, chokes him out, and it was pretty good. I gave it three and three quarters. Um, they've definitely had better, but I thought this was a good way to introduce Juice Robinson to those who don't know him. But I will say, the Philly crowd didn't seem to care, which that surprised me. Yeah, I thought this was a very high-quality match. I went four stars on it, I think partially because of just my already knowing the moxley robinson uh canon um i think i'm still the high voter for it on cage match oh two people have joined me giving it an eight out of ten so well um it's it's uh it's at a 5.42 on there right now not so great uh but yeah i like the work in this a lot uh it's unfortunate that i thought some of the best stuff came during the commercial break um that didn't help any um but yeah uh solid match to me yeah, and hopefully we get to see more of Juice Robinson down the line. And he would be really good in this company because I think he'd be a better TV wrestler than he 
um, was working in Japan just because based on his style and he can do the, the shitbag chicanery that he's always done. Um, oh, we'll talk about that in a little bit on the, the, the backlog. Um, Cause there, I have a great example of that from this year with Juice Robinson. Oh yeah. Um, at, at the end of the match uh, we did get um, hangman Adam page um, coming out and uh, he did win the Grand Slam Battle Royal um, a couple weeks ago at Grand Slam, and he has a stare down with Moxley. Um, MJF uh, comes out and that basically says, uh, you're fighting to lose because uh, once you morons get to Cincinnati, this is quoting MJF, I may cash in my chip and become the new AEW world champion. And he ended up uh, watching this match. I believe he was in the press box for it. Yeah, he was in the skybox. Yeah. Um, now let's talk about this chip because he keeps teasing that he's going to do the uh, WWE style cash in. Some think it's a red herring. Some yep. people think that he's actually going to do it. I think he it would fit tremendously with his character to do the cash in, but I also think it would be very WWE tropey. Which side of the fence are you on, Fred? Um, I think basically it fits his character perfectly and I don't want to see it. I, I think the money in the bank briefcase has been a, a real detriment to WWE during the Vince McMahon era. Maybe triple H will turn out to be really good at booking it and, um, can make it work for him. But I, I think it's too much sports entertainment bullshit. Um, the only time I've really been into it was when Seth Rollins cashed in mid-match with Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar at the WrestleMania main event like eight years ago. I thought that really uh, worked well. Um, MJF has the perfect character for cashing in. I think that it would not be good. I would rather he actually win the title in a match because he's a good worker. He's a really good wrestler. Um and I'd much rather just see him now. Maybe he um, gets it set up where they announce Moxley versus someone for full gear, and then he says, "Ah, ah, ah! You guys can wrestle in the opener. I'm taking the the winner in the main event." Kind of sets it up where his opponent gets weakened before he gets them in the ring, and then they do the you know they do an actual match from there. I just think Cashin would not be well received by the AEW partisans. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of with you there. Uh, I don't know if I want it or don't want it, but I'll tell you this: if if it ends up happening, like I, depending on how they do it, I don't know how mad I'd be, but I don't think that I, I would personally book it. Yeah, I wouldn't do it that way personally. I think that it kind of goes against the ethos of the company. Um, and I, I personally like the, I think I may have mentioned this last week, but I like the, you know, the Dario Cueto gimmick from Lucha Underground where he's like, okay, you get to cash this in, but I need a week to promote it mm-hmm. like that, that, you know, fit perfectly. And I think that would work well in AEW where the board of directors would, you know, the, the fictional off-screen board of directors with mouthpiece Tony Schiavone would say, listen, you can get a match whenever you want, but you need a week's announce, you know, a week to announce it and push it. Yeah, and I I think something like that would probably be the smarter way to go. Um, As we continue to move on, we have a backstage segment after all the women's stuff um, that we talked about earlier. Um, Approach Private 
party after they were dismissed by Andrade. Quick, get out of your deal, and I promise we'll do it right, Hardy told him. Um, and it looks like we are going to be getting Babyface Private Party with Matt Hardy, which was the initial intention when Hardy came into the company, but it was with the family office gimmick, and that just didn't work. I'm not a big fan of Matt Hardy as far as being a major league wrestler at this point in his career, but I will say I like the idea of having them as a babyface team with Hardy because I think it can work out a lot better, especially because you can have um, Isaiah Cassie playing the plucky babyface in, in the midst of tag matches and really learning that side because these guys have a lot of talent, but they don't have a lot of ingering experience at this point. Yeah. Uh, just going back real quick, one key thing from the MJF uh, segment after the Moxley match was that uh, Yuta came up behind him and beat him up some. So that to help set up the match next this tomorrow, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought that was a nice touch, too, that helped babyface Yuta even more in a situation where he easily could have been just blown past by MJF. So they booked that smart. Um, yeah, as far as Matt Hardy and Private Party, I feel like the best thing they can do is have them in the trios division have matt hardy alongside them and have private party do the the heavy lifting in the ring um do that kind of leads to the question am i really excited to see that trio not really right now maybe they can figure out some way to make it work but i'm not you know i'm not super optimistic about matt hardy in uh 2022 nor should you be it's matt hardy um after that there was also before that there was a segment with the acclaimed and keith lee that i thought was interesting just in that keith lee outright said hey you guys cheated to beat us so it and they like the the acclaimed and uh daddy ass uh just like we're like yeah um so i kind of hope that's not an indicator that they're planning on pushing the acclaimed as heels um anytime soon i think that would be reckless uh, i think that would hurt their ceiling right now but anyways just something to note i thought fair uh, that is new noteworthy um ricky starks comes out after his big win in that lights out match against powerhouse hobbs which um, was really good and i think really helps that it doesn't count towards the rankings, so you can still push powerhouse hobbs potentially getting that title match uh either against wardlow or against whoever uh has the heavyweight title. Um, and then Starks gets the culmination of the feud. And now he is, uh, he comes in here and faces uh, ROH wrestler Eli Isom, squashes him, um, gets the spear, gets the Rochambeau, and calls it a day. Classic uh, Tony Khan between, uh, between storylines deal. You know, uh, you just finished up a storyline. You're not in a storyline just yet. Uh, let's have you squash a guy. Mm-hmm. Nothing uh, wrong with it. No, nothing wrong with it. I thought it was really well done. Um, they, they got Starks on TV, which I think is always a net positive. And then last thing on the show was the ROH World Championship match. The Ocho, Chris Jericho versus Bandito. And this was tremendous. Um, Jericho uh, got Bandito to show all of his big stuff. Um, they made it really feel like a true war between the two. Jericho is just such a great professional. And they got the 21 plex, which got a nice pop from the crowd. 
And then Jericho ended up winning with uh, the lion tamer, just putting the knee right into the back of uh, Bandito's head. And I, I thought this was really good. I went four and a quarter. Like it's really hard to get a better TV title match than this. Yeah, it was really good. Uh, four, I went four and a half on it. I thought it was just, uh, just great. Uh, Jericho, over the past few months, has had his working shoes on, and he has just been showing out every chance he gets. A ch- he gets to, um, and I like, you know, I liked it a lot. He um, came across like a total star, uh, and more importantly, made Bandito come across like a main event player. Uh, he did so much good for Bandito here. Uh, Bandito got to do all his cool stuff. He did the 21 plex. He did the, uh, he did possibly the longest vertical uh, hanging vertical suplex I've ever seen. Um, all kinds of cool stuff. I thought it was great. Uh, the visual of Bandito bleeding into his mask, you know, with the white, uh, bandana style mask he wears looked really cool. And, um, yeah, I thought this was a great match. Yeah, awesome stuff. And once the uh, once the match was over, uh, Jericho gets the mic um, and he'll cut the music. The Ring of Jericho era has begun. I'm changing what Ring of Honor is. I'm going to destroy its legend. I'm going to destroy every great champion that has held the Ring of Honor championship. And I'm challenging Brian Danielson in Toronto on October 12th. And that is in two weeks. And then he nails uh, the ring announcer, Bobby Cruz, with the Judas effect kind of signaling that he is coming to destroy ring of honor and really making it the ring of Jericho. I thought this was really good stuff. And it came after a completely unnecessary, like low blow on uh Cruz as well, which was just a great, you know, uh heel move by him. I thought, um, but yeah, that was fantastic. Um, one downside on the match I will note is that Jericho went to do his lion salt and Bandito saw that he was going to come up quite short. So he did a little shimmy while Jericho was in midair. So Jericho could connect it. Uh, that's what you should do, but it's still, you know, you know, it is what it was. Yeah. Just overall, a really good show. I, I'd probably rank this like a seven or eight out of 10. Consi- and especially considering they were not at full strength because of Hurricane Ian. This was this was just a a really fun show outside of the crap in the middle. Yeah, it really could have been an all timer dynamite, and uh, if it wasn't for that, but I still I went seven out of ten on it. I think so. Mm-hmm. And then you had Rampage, which was um, the B show to end all B shows. Just a just a solid show. Nothing nothing crazy. Um, the uh the acclaimed beat uh Butcher and the Blade in Private Party. Mori- Lee Moriarty defeated Fuego del Sol. Um Hater beat Willow Nightingale in what I thought was a very good showing from Nightingale. And then Roosh beat John Silver. Just nothing bad, nothing great, just in and out, solid work. Yeah. Um if you, I just a couple quick notes. I think Willow Nightingale is gonna be a star. She really had a great showing in that match. Um you know, I thought that she looked really good against uh, uh, Hater there, and Hater had a solid match. Uh, every match, I think I went three and a half stars on. You know, it was all perfectly good. Um, it was a good B show, totally a B show though. Um, you know, John Silver and Rush, uh, Roosh, they had a great match. Um, the most notable segments on it outside of the ring, um, Jade Cargill was challenged by Nyla Rose. 
to a match. Um, Nyla missing her chance to be the uh, defense number one challenger on Jade finally gets her shot, uh, just because that's what uh, Nyla did for practically every women's champion up until the last one or two. Um, they did a big deal with uh, Adam Page, 10, the uh, Uno, and Andrade, uh, where they set up Andrade versus 10, where it's either 10's mask or Andrade's career in AEW on the line, uh, which I think is pretty clearly going to be an Andrade win. But hey, play off the real world stuff everyone's talking about. Um, and then uh, last one was uh, Stokely Hathaway and Ethan Page snitching on Matt Hardy and Private Party contract tampering <laughs> um, to Andrade and Jose the Assistant. Um, you know, none of them were fantastic, but you know, there's some definitely some storyline movement along the way, which is more than you can say for some other recent rampages. Yeah, just hopefully that once the elite comes back and maybe if CM Punk comes back, they can really live up to the reputation of hey, we're actually going to make this an A show, like they said from the jump, which they did try and make it an A show. The first uh match in Rampage history was. Uh, Christian Cage beating Kenny Omega for the Impact World title. And then the next week was um, the first dance uh, where CM Punk debuted at the United Center to one of the biggest pops in wrestling history. But that has unfortunately not translated um, to success long term. But maybe we can get that figured out. Uh, As we talked about next week or this week is the Dynamite Anniversary Show. Um, three years uh, ago, Dynamite debuted on October 1st. Um, we do have the main event is Daniel Garcia and Brian Danielson versus Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara with Wardlow defending the TNT title against Brian Cage, um, MJF and Wheeler Yuta, Roosh against Hangman Page, Darby Allen versus Jay Lethal, Luchasaurus in action, Six women tag, which Fred mentioned earlier, uh, Tony Storm, Athena, and Willow Nightingale with uh, Soraya in their corner, and Jamie Hayter, Serena Deeb, and Penelope Ford with Britt Baker in their corner. And then the best part of uh, the anniversary dynamite, Fred, National Scissoring Day. I had to explain the the whole acclaimed scissoring thing to someone this past week that is not a wrestling fan. And it took a while, but they seemed to enjoy it, so... Yeah, uh, it should be a really good show. Um, also, Rampage this week is, well, not technically, but is going to be two hours because the second hour is the Battle of the Belts 4. Um, there's probably more stuff announced that I don't have on my sheet here, but I know that there is going to be Pack versus Trent for the AEW All-Atlantic Championship on that show. I, is, I think Nyla and Jade may be a match on Friday as well, um, but I'm not, I don't have that specifically offhand because I did a poor job of prep. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm not. Uh, I'm not super concerned. It's it's a rampage. They'll they'll figure out a way to at least make it decent. Um, one thing that we're going to start incorporating here moving forward, and we got this from the Discord um, listener questions. Uh, hop in our channel on the Voice of Wrestling Discord, and if you have any questions for us, we're going to be more than happy to answer them. And this this was one that got me thinking. I know it did you too, Fred. Yeah. Who is the first WWE Mick Carter to hold the AEW title? Um, if Andrade and Malachi Black, maybe Lero aren't top guys in AEW, who breaks the glass ceiling? Claudio, Pack, Keith Lee. And my answer to this question was, could you make the argument that um, Moxley and Jericho could 
be those guys that they've already accomplished it because while both of them held the world title in WWE, they were never really viewed as top guys and never given like really strong, consistent runs on the top. I guess that I would say that Jericho kind of did at least for a couple years there where he was doing the, uh, the Nick Bockwinkle gimmick with the suit and the, you know, educated guy promos and all that stuff. I think that was, that would kind of disqualify him. You can make the argument for Mox. Uh, it's pretty clear that Mox was more over than his push in WWE. So I could also disqualify him for that. Uh, I don't know that any of the guys mentioned in the question will become a W world champion, which is honestly, I'm okay with because, you know, if it turns into, uh, for lack of a better term, a gold, gold watch belt, or you're like, hey, this guy's good, let's give it to him for three weeks, then it will make the championship mean less. By having it go just between the very top guys, I think that, um, you know, you definitely make it more meaningful. Uh, to look at the guys specifically mentioned the questions, I don't see Pac ever hitting that level just because of how he's pushed, the fact that he disappears for, like, months at a time just to go hang out in England. Um you know, I just don't see it. Claudio, I think, has pretty clearly been slotted into like a, a mid-card act kind of deal. I don't really foresee him ever getting much higher than that um, unless they specifically decide to. Of course, that's always the answer to the questions. If they decide to put a rocket on someone, then of course they can give him the championship. Uh, but I think Keith Lee may not be able to do what they want a championship champion to do, which is like, you know, they do like to do their... 20, 25, 30 minute uh, kind of epic style main event matches. And I don't know if Keith Lee has the stamina to do that. Um, so he is a possibility. Um, Andrade, I think, could be. I just don't know that it will happen because I don't think he can do enough on the mic. Uh, but I would say he's a. Uh, 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 long, respectable odds, uh, but long odds. Uh, Malachi Black, again, I think that he could have been if they continued the Cody push, uh, but they pulled back pretty quickly from that. I would not be surprised if he ends up with either the Tag or Trios championships or even the uh, TNT. I don't know if he get the he'll get the world belt. And Miro is, I'd put him probably number one of the list. Um, I think he can promo. I think he can uh, work well enough for what they want, but he just hasn't been pushed that way. I know he had the um, the TV show he was taping, but it's still been a month plus since the last pay-per-view, and he's just still doing pre-tape promos. I think they really need to shake him up and do something different with him, You know, keep the gimmick, but just actually have him wrestle and be in a feud and do things that matter. Um, but that's how I would rank it. I, um, If you want to count Adam Cole as a mid-carder, which kind of, I don't know, really, without him hitting the main roster, if he qualifies that, he was always a push quantity in NXT. I think he is very likely to have a world championship run at some point, uh, especially if he stays around long-term. Uh, I don't know that it'll be like in the next year or so, but he is a name to consider. Uh, Tony Khan obviously really likes him. Um, trying to think of who else on the roster. Uh, I mean, obviously MGF is going to be the next champion after him. I think it just depends on who's hot at that point in time and, uh, has the right momentum to take it off of him. 
but the most of the guys I think for that spot are like already established, like Paige. It could be like Ricky Starks or Daniel Garcia, neither of whom were WWE. Um, Moxley is the eternal, you know, eternally in that position where he could take it. Uh, maybe Eddie Kingston for a short run. I could see him getting heated up at the right spot at the right time and like getting a Mick Foley kind of, you know, short run with a belt. Um, but, you know, that's where I stand. Yeah. I think if there's going to be one guy who maybe breaks the glass ceiling, it'd be Miro. Um, his gimmick is over. He works incredibly well. He is great on the mic. He kind of has the whole package. And if you're going to pick one of these guys to really strap the rocket to, I think it would be him. But I'm kind of with you. I don't know if any of these guys ever get the rocket strap to them. They're they just kind of where they feel, are. They all just feel like a step too low on the depth chart. At least the most likely guys, Miro and Malachi and Andrade to, it, it would take a, a noticeable shift in how they're presented right now, which is not a problem. It's not like they can't do it. I just don't know if they will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how Tony Khan kind of conducts things here moving forward. Um, Fred, I know you have a decent amount from the backlog that you watched, including you mentioned a Juice Robinson match that you thought was really, really good. Yeah, he had a very good G1 Climax match with uh, uh, David Finley that was, I thought, played off really great off of their you know years of partnership as a tag team in uh, in New Japan. I thought it turned out to be a great match. I went four and three-quarter stars on it. Um they worked really hard, and also Juice Robinson, when he was selling, spent a lot of time being just a complete shitbag heel in front of the clap crowd, just screaming, I'm sorry, we don't have to do this! Just like a complete, you know, uh, a total Ric Flair deal. Um, best match I actually watched was um, WWE, uh, if you can believe it, but this Cody Rhodes-Seth Rollins Hell in a Cell match. Uh, I remember this being talked about when the match happened, but to see it actually happen was very different. When uh, Cody Rhodes came out with his, you know, the jacket, he kept that from AEW. Um, and they have the camera right at his chest, and he takes off the jacket and shows you know, slowly with the left healthy shoulder first, and then shows the right shoulder where it has basically the entire right half of his body is just pulled blood underneath him. Just terrible bruising. It and looks rotten almost. It does. It's terrible. And the crowd goes silent. It is astonishing. One of the things that you definitely have to see as a wrestling fan is this crowd reaction because they're like, clearly like, Hey, it's an entrance. We're a bigger, you know, we're, we're a very WWE crowd. We were big, big on the entrances. We like to see our stars. We like to react to the finishes. And, uh, Cody Rose was like, here's some fucking reality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I think they're just like, oh, my God, that's, oh, oh, okay. Um, wow, we got to process with it. And, and, like, they seriously, it's like they had to process it for, like, three minutes before they even started to get into the match. Because the match started, like, with some big moves, if I recall correctly. And the crowd was still like, oh, my God, it's back. Yeah. Just dead silent. Kudos to Cody for working that match. Like. Yeah, very, very impressive performance by him just being able to do that. But I, I actually went five stars on it. I thought it was a fantastic match. Uh, Seth Rollins, if he can 
be un WWEized with the laugh, the terrible laughing gimmick, and Seth freaking Rollins, and all the stuff that I completely hate about his presentation right now. He is a terrific wrestler, and uh, I just wish that you got to see that more often. If he ever leaves the comforts of WWE, maybe we'll, we'll get to see it. But as of right now, I mean, maybe we'll get to see it when he faces against when he faces Roman. But I'm not holding my breath. Yeah. Anyways, uh, those were the best couple of things I saw in the past week. Uh, YouTube shows. I didn't watch them. Um, I did watch Christopher Daniels on Hey EW. You know, it was it was more of an interview than the other ones, which have been kind of gimmicks to set up for jokes uh this is more of a straightforward interview you know so if you want to see i mean christopher daniels is an interesting listen to talk to but it was not like a top tier episode of that uh i did see that dark elevation last week had two matches on it uh that um it's exactly two matches on it uh kip sabian and penelope ford beating sean dean and sky blue and ortiz beating serpentico i think that kind of speaks as to why I didn't go out of my way to watch it. Um, and Dark last week, uh, if this is even the right episode I'm clicking on. Um, oh, there you are. Um, one match. Oh, yes, I actually... No, that was the week before, so... Uh, I don't know offhand what was on the right episode of Dark. Uh, 163. Give me one second. I can pull that up real quick. And... Uh, Okay, the only match that got over five minutes on it was uh, Anthony Henry losing to Dante Martin in nine minutes. So that could be pretty solid. It's got a 5.17 on cage match right now with five votes. So doesn't sound like the greatest thing. Yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, it's dark. You're only going to get uh, so much of actual quality from uh, a match on that program. Yeah. Um. Other than that, uh, I don't have too much more to talk about with AEW. I think that's basically what they've been doing, and uh, I don't think there's any big news knowing that we know about that is looming over the horizon. So, to be determined on the rest, I do suppose. Yeah, it's... That's AEW. Yep, that is a podcast. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at goodbadhungie, H-U-N-G-E-E. Uh, you can also email us. Our email address is h-u-n-g-e-e-pod at gmail.com, hungypod. Uh, we also have a channel on the Voices of Wrestling uh, Discord server. Feel free to go in there and yell at us. And uh, that's all I got. You got anything else? No. Overall, uh, really good week of AEW. And there's a lot to look forward to moving forward, especially with uh, MJF and the AEW title. In the meantime... Have a good one. Take care. Rest in peace, Loretta Lynn.